Welcome back to Kvetching on the Couch, a podcast where we host a weekly conversation about mental health topics through a Jewish lens. I'm Ash, I use they, she pronouns, and I'm an eating disorder and trauma therapist specializing in the Jewish community and in weight stigma. I have lived experience of an eating disorder and childhood trauma, and I do community advocacy work for the Jewish community and fat positivity. And I'm Laura, I use she, her pronouns, and I'm a mental health and suicide prevention advisor to high schools with a professional background in special education and equity work. My personal background is in fighting anti-Semitism, advocating for fat and body liberation, and eating disorder and addiction recovery through the lens of my personal experience. episode, we will be discussing the third-generation Holocaust survivor experience with Daniela Rabani, an actress and filmmaker based in New York City. If we are speaking on something that resonates with you and you're joining us live, please feel free to call into the show at any time. And content warning, especially for today, this topic will likely lend itself to some triggering content, so please be cognizant of your well-being and take some breaks if you need them. As always, please remember that this podcast does not take the place of medical or mental health care from a clinician or provider. Reach out to professionals if you need support. We do have so much to cover. This is a, you know, special episode. Today is Yom HaShoah, um, the day on which Jews um, take additional time. We're always remembering the Holocaust, um, but we take additional time to honor survivors, to honor righteous Gentiles, to reflect on um, stories and listen to stories of survivors of the Shoah. So we are, you know, keeping that in mind as we record and have this conversation today. And, you know, that will be just the overarching lens of our episode because we are coming into this conversation, um, having been processing all of that today. So... We are going to bring Daniela on sooner rather than later to join us for this conversation because she does have so much to add. Daniela Rabani is an actress and singer best known for her role as Rabbi Zoe Schwartz on Fox's God Fronted Me. Other credits include HBO's Scenes from a Marriage, FX's The Americans, Ocean's 8, opposite Sandra Bullock, and her directorial debut, Olmont, inspired by her experience as a third-generation Holocaust survivor, it's now available on Amazon Prime. Daniela has dedicated most of her professional life to performing in Yiddish for audiences around the world, most notably off-Broadway with the National Yiddish Theater. She's the mother of two, Ness and Paz, and hosts the Mom Curious podcast produced by Hoff Studios. More can be found at Daniela Rabani on Instagram and DanielaRabani.com. So, Daniela, thank you for joining us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of this um, podcast and of the two of you. So it's really an honor, especially on this day, because Laura, you know, on our um, on our trip together, we all went to Tel Aviv together with the Tel Aviv Institute. On our trip together, I really had this beautiful moment with you, who I think the two of us are the only two... Um, grandchildren of survivors that were on that trip. And um, we had this beautiful embrace that I 
I probably will never forget for the rest of my life where I, we sort of had found that out about each other. And um, you saw that I was sort of crying and having a, a moment of missing my, my own grandparents. And you said, Hey, can I hug you? <laughs> it was <just> like <laughs> the best. <laughs> it was the best. So it feels very appropriate to have this conversation with you today. We're so, we feel so lucky to have you on to have this conversation with us, Daniela. May I ask, um, <clears throat> I feel like a song <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> There's this song that's been on the tip of my tongue because my, my heart has been heavy today, mm-hmm. which, you know, the Jews, we have this, this tradition of, of like having heavy days Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually quite cathartic from a mental health perspective because we invite all the dark, um, sad feelings in to be moved by us so that we can experience joy. And mm-hmm. um, something that really helps move that energy for me is is song. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted to like invite the the 6 million Jews who passed, the survivors, the righteous Gentiles, the millions more who have been touched by this trauma, the world who holds the shame of being a witness to this type of hate for so long. And I want to just like allow this into the space and inform our, our, um, our conversation together um, if I may, is that okay with you? I'm absolutely, absolutely big fans of music that. over here. Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> we would love that, Daniela. So this song, this song um, was an adaptation of um, you know a, a musical theater song um, of, in the 1930s that they actually sang uh, in the Shoah, and I just love the remembrance that art was present was made, was soothing, even in the darkest moments. Mazel, du scheinst am all for jeden, for jeden ordnit for mir. Mazel, du bringst Stein Nacht, wenn Welt sich endigen, das Wandern 
Wenn Welt schon kommen, das Wenn wir sein, das auf und der Weil weiter kann das nicht sein. It goes on, but I'll, you know, I'll let that rest. Thank you for that, Daniela. That was absolutely beautiful. I literally felt like I was in Fiddler. Like, I feel like every... <laughs> I feel like Jewish music, like obviously every song is so different, of course, but there are these certain rhythms to Jewish music that I think is, is very common or um, not common is a through line uh, mm. with much of Jewish music. And I just really felt that as you were singing, like just the way, like the, the intonation of your voice, as you, you know, said the words, like it just felt very familiar and comforting. So thank you for that. Yeah, Yiddish is cool like that, right? Like part of your DNA almost receives it. <laughs> like yeah. there's a little receptacle for this particular sound. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, thank you for uh, bringing us into the show with that. Like, like I said before, you know, we're big fans of music here. And we always, or we often talk about how the little intro song helps, helps us kind of debrief from the day and shed some mm -hmm. of that stuff and, and prepare for being here. So I, I, really appreciate having that to kind of, you know, couch our experience. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you don't mind, Danielle, I know that you and Laura went to an event last night uh, for, mm -hmm. um, to hear the story of a Holocaust survivor. And so, you know, I haven't had an opportunity to really hear about that yet. And I would love to kind of start there and then maybe we can expand a little bit more into your and Laura's uh, family stories as well. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Laura, what did you think of, that event how did that land on you yeah so um for those listening last night daniela and i were um, in attendance at the um israeli consul general's home in new york um where we listened to the um survival story of renee khan silver um author of and yet i still loved france is the book of her story um and we had the immense privilege of bearing witness to Renee tell her story. Um, and it was a beautifully facilitated event and just a, I'm not really answering yet the question of how it hit for me, but just rather giving a little background. Um, but it was um, just truly, I don't think that it's possible to sit, in a room with a Holocaust survivor who is telling their stories, their story and not, and not feel moved on a foundational level that it's not a story that you listen to with your ears. It's a story that you listen to with your heart, that you are tugged in listening to stories like Renee's. Um, you are, you are pulled into a place of, of understanding, you know, as a Jew, that this is what happened to your people and that it's only by circumstance that it hasn't directly happened to you. And there's, there's something, you know, there's something there for me um, that just, I am not entirely sure that I can put into words. But one thing that really struck me last night was watching how Renee was able to tell her story um, and that she was able to remember 
joy from the most primary years of her life that she was able to remember um, love of family um, that she was able to spotlight her relationship with her younger sister um, prior to their separation and after they were able to reunite with their family um, to be able to see brightness in a travesty of a story that isn't just a story for Renee. It was her lived reality to be able to highlight those moments of brightness is remarkable. It's a gift. And I'm not sure whether we do enough of that in daily life. Mm. She did mention how, what a great mother she had throughout the mother who knit her, her dresses and washed her one pair of underwear in the camp that they were sent to in France, in France. It it wasn't Dachau. No, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. It was a, um, yeah, it was like a sort of internment camp that they sent all foreigners. Foreigners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Jews and non-Jews. And she was a child. She was about six years old. Her, Her little sister was four. Mm-hmm. And they only had one pair of underwear and the way her mother cared for her and was strong and was loving and cared for her father who was crippled by World War One, And I mean, it was so beautiful and so clear that mm-hmm. she had such a foundation of safety in the mm-hmm. arms of her parents all the while. That's why the brain would remember such mm-hmm. detail, I think, because that life was good before life was good. Life life was fun. Life was normal. You know, it was so, it was so clear that that was the case for, for this particular survivor. And that, uh, I mean, they, you know, I, I, I just came from um, touring my son's school where he'll go to kindergarten next year. And Oh my gosh, I have all these feelings about changing schools for him. This survivor moved school to school every year and a half because she was Jewish and afraid for her life. Of course, she didn't know that, but her, um, her parents did. Um, and she, and she took it in such sort of stride seemingly and always looking for the good. She kept saying how her life would, um, not have been saved if not for the righteous Gentiles. And it was so, mm-hmm soothing to hear because I think a lot of the times and and in I I listened to your episodes with Ben Freeman who I'm such a huge fan of and I remember him saying, you know, like the non Jewish world just hates Jews. And and mm-hmm. to some degree that is absolutely true. And there are righteous Gentiles or there mm-hmm. are just good people out there. Or there are people who don't hate Jews, um, who marry Jews, who have Jewish children, mm-hmm. um you know, who um you know, friends of mine who went, you know, last May when I was so hurt by uh, what was going on online and like really mm-hmm. deeply, deeply uh, in, in pain about it, would have non-Jewish friends who would just say, I see it. I am not okay with it. Mm-hmm. I I am holding space for it. And so I, I loved that she was reflecting that reality back to me that that is true, that we do have, we do have allies, maybe not in the numbers or in the volume that we're always hoping for, but certainly they exist. Mm -hmm. And Renee did leave us with um, 
the last thing she said to us as a group, um, she did leave us with a message when she was asked what message she would like to give to young people today as a Holocaust survivor. Um, she said exactly that uplift the good spotlight, the good. It is so easy to hone in on and focus on the darkness and people around us. Um, and even within ourselves mm. and not uplift what is good and what is true. And I saw that in the way she told her story. I know mm. it reached you as well, Daniela. And <laughs> then she explicitly said it to us at the end is the stories of righteous Gentiles need to be told because yeah. it is true that <laughs> Europe was, you know, as a whole, um, you know, exterminating Jews. And at the same time, there were Europeans who were not, um, non-Jews who were not. Mm -hmm. And despite everything, despite one of the most intense propaganda campaigns the world has ever seen, mm -hmm. um, despite threat of violence or death, um, if you were to hide a Jew or not turn in a Jew, um, people chose differently. So... Yeah, to, it's important to remember that. Yeah, I I often think of my mother's um, aunt. Hmm? Aunt? No, my grandmother's aunt um, was married to a non-Jewish man, and um, he was the first to go. The mm -hmm. Nazis killed him first. So so heinous was his crime, mm -hmm. and I. I'm, I'm always moved and always looking for the love because I know it exists. I know mm. for a fact that it exists, that, that yes, 6 million of us were wiped off the face of the earth. Many of them were my blood relatives and we still exist. Mm -hmm. The fact that we exist, my son's name means miracle, Ness in Hebrew. The fact that we exist is a miracle. It is a miracle from God. And it is also a miracle that people finally did step in and they mm -hmm. weren't Jewish. Some may be fine, but you know, we, we have, we have to acknowledge that or else we'll be uh, in a pit of despair. And honestly, that despair will not move us uh, mm -hmm. and, and get us anywhere, you know, in, in, in life there's, um, there's beauty. There's, there's, um, there's beauty. And I, I, I really believe that, um, that the, the Holocaust victims and survivors want so badly for us to enjoy our Jewishness and our life. Absolutely. And I think you touch on something so important here that, um, you know, we've spent quite a bit of time in previous episodes that I'm sure we'll touch on in this episode discussing intergenerational trauma. It's likely not a new concept to many of our listeners, but I want to explore how intergenerational trauma gives way to intergenerational resiliency and mm. a focus on Jewish joy mm. and what it even means to be actively Jewish. These are all individually huge topics, but they are so interwoven, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, 
so I would love to um, give you a chance to speak on what that brings up for you when I say that. Well, I know you have a similar experience, um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it too. But um, from my perspective, um, I uh, directed a film based on my um, my grandparents' story, mm-hmm. um, which which is to say they did not tell their story, mm-hmm. um, which left a sort of gray cloud over my family all the time. Um, and, and a feeling of mourning and of loss and of fear and of sadness perpetually. And for good reason. I remember my grandfather showing me, you know, I like went to the dollar store with him and I picked up, a. <laughs> we, we really loved the dollar store, just for the record. Um, and I, he's I my favorite. Dollar store still. I, I, it's so good. He he is still my favorite person on on this earth, and he's not on this earth anymore. Um, mm-hmm. But we had such a good time together. And I so I I picked up a, a pad of paper that was a yellow star, and I, we bought it. And finally, when when we got home, he took one of the pieces of paper and put it on his heart. And he said, "You know, I had to wear this because um, I was Jewish, and I saw him opening his heart to me, which he had never done to anyone before. Mm. And I, at nine years old, felt responsible to save him from his own life story. That was the the, mm. the sort of mantra in our home that we shouldn't let them feel that pain again. And of course, we know from a therapeutic standpoint, from an energetic standpoint, that that is actually not healthy at all, that the, the trauma loops needs to need to be closed by making sense of our reality mm-hmm. by way of storytelling. And so when I was older and he had already passed on, my grandmother was m- much older um, and she still was not able to you know, really give us the details of her life the same way that, that Renee, the survivor last night, could. Um, I, I embarked on this journey of trying to, to quote unquote, get it from her. And then I realized, well, of course, it's, it's hers. That's her life story. This is not like some book. This is not a movie. This mm. is someone's lived experience and I have to respect it. What I learned in that process of making that film is that there's a thing called epigenetics, which means mm-hmm. the expression of your genes. And maybe Ash, I, I see that you um, that you might have something to add to this. The expression of genes actually can morph thanks to trauma, thanks to adrenaline, mm-hmm. thanks to cortisol, thanks to um, that that depth of suffering. Yes from one generation to the other. Ash, what do you want to say about that? Tell me. Yeah. You're, you're like moderating alongside us. I love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the reason why I've been so quiet is because we're actually doing construction at the house and, and they just arrived. So I, I hope you can't hear that, but no. um, I'll be muted for, for the most part, but I did just want to sort of reinforce what you had said there, Daniela, about how we do process through trauma. And as you know, coming from a therapeutic perspective and, and thinking about the Jewish community, I think a lot about how much trauma the community still holds because of the high level of denial and avoidance that much of the community has engaged in around specifically the Holocaust. And it sounds like your grandparents were an example of that. And of course we can't force people to tell their stories and to do so would actually be re-traumatizing in some ways, but also, and also not, but, and also, you know, there is so much healing in sharing and, 
you know, obviously I don't think I've ever heard a Holocaust survivor say that, but I do wonder like if I were to have the opportunity mm. to ask them, mm -hmm. I, I would want to ask them, you know, how I'm sure I've heard people talk about how at first they didn't want to share their story. I've definitely heard people say that. Um, but I don't think I've heard as much, you know, people talk about the impact of sharing the story and how how healing it can be, even though, yes, it is really hard. And in some ways it's, you know, ripping Band-Aids off and it's painful, but it's it's pain for a purpose. Right. And as I said in the beginning of this call, I said, you know, we as Jews, we fast, we uh, we mourn the the destruction of the temple we we mourn we we you know shiva is a week there's a year of mourning for um uh immediate family we have ritual around feeling pain and allowing it to move through the system which as you know um from a mental health perspective is essential for the nervous system and for the brain mm -hmm. to um to function so, I mean, we, we have this built into our culture, this culture of crying, this culture of, of, of allowing our hurt to be hurt, to, right. to, to actually hurt us. But right. I don't Honoring think, grief. Yeah. yeah I, and I don't think for my grandparents and for many people who did keep their, their stories to themselves, I just don't think that they ever made sense of it. My grandmother was married before the war and she was living in a... I wouldn't call it a loveless marriage because as we discussed, my grandfather was the best that ever existed. <laughs> but, um, but, but, you know, maybe not her dream guy. And Ooh. she just never made peace with that. She never made peace with the fact that her, gra that her own mother um, died of tuberculosis in the ghetto. Mm -hmm. And here she was living, you know, yeah. al alive. Um, and that her, her aunt, married her father just because that's what you did you know they right. just kept going on with it they 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 right. got on with their life I mean they they were part of building the state of Israel they were of the of the first um to to, to have children born in the state of Israel they did amazing things in this lifetime they loved me with a with a fierceness and with an intensity intensity and a consciousness that like, I wish for any child ever. Yeah. And they just never made peace. They just never made yeah. peace with it so that it was safe enough to talk right. about and not um, go into a, basically like a, a grief K hole. I think, right. I think they were really genuinely afraid that they couldn't get out of that. And many Absolutely. people did not. Right. Uh, but 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 what ends up happening in that situation is is that um, my genes were altered. Mine, my, my right. brother and sister, my 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 mother and her brother. You know, like my grandmother bore children of a body that was abused to the core, right. mm -hmm. and so the um, you know what happens with epigenetics is that I'm predisposed to PTSD, to anxiety, mm -hmm. to depression, to ADHD. These are things that are real, like scientifically proven. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and so so that's what I I I sort of found out in in the investigation around. Okay, well, my story is the story of not telling stories. Right. What does that mean for me? Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's something you said to Daniela, they, they couldn't make sense of it. And right. it's one of those things where, I mean, it, it is often the case with trauma that there is no making sense of it. Right. But, but with this in particular, how does one make sense of mass genocide? Yeah. How does someone make sense of, you know, such virulent and, and aggressive hatred that you want to wipe out? an entire group of people. What, what sense is in that? You know, like it's, yeah. it's one of those things that if it, I think in some ways, if you're looking to make sense of it, you're never going to heal from it mm. because it just doesn't fucking make sense. Ah, wow. Mm-hmm. Ash, that's really profound. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that's why they're paying you the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Wow. So like, so we just like, so we just accept that that's one of the mysteries of life. I mean, I, yeah, I guess I've made, is, yeah. I've made sense of it in in that in a similar way to how Ben Freeman said on your podcast, mm-hmm. um, the non-Jewish world they don't like us. Right. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think mm-hmm. there's some some truth to that too, right? I mean, anti-Semitism is, as we often say, the oldest hatred in existence, right? Partially because we are the oldest people in existence, peoples like collective, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. communal peoples um so you know to some degree there's there's very much truth in that and it is somewhat of an explanation but also how does hatred turn into a mass movement to exterminate a large number of people right for like, years for, for years right. that's what's right. so crazy i just worked on this pbs documentary and um you know i'm, I'm doing like the yiddish um voices and what and the there are there are videos videos mm-hmm. like they were proud of this of yes, Nazis they were. standing in front of of businesses jewish businesses and saying don't buy from jews nice. I, and um you know fast forward to 2022 and you know we're we're finding ourselves in a similar situation um but i mean this was a years long project that's what's so bizarre. But I, I wanted to just get back to your um, your initial question, Laura, which was, okay, so I, I were, you know, pre- I predisposed to this, um, to sort of inheriting the trauma itself, of course, because my, my parents weren't able to, you know, um, to really deal with it. They weren't in a, they, mm-hmm. they were just, you know, my, my father was jumping out of airplanes in Israel and served in the Yom Kippur war. You know, he was dealing with that. Damn. Yeah. And, um, and my, you know, and, and my grandparents certainly couldn't deal with it. They didn't have the luxury. And here I am here. I am Mm. with the luxury and the burden of not passing this on to my children. That is a Mm. real thing that is happening in my life every day. Right. Mm. And it is, but it is possible. And that resilience, right. sometimes my therapist is like, whoa, how'd you get through that <laughs> life of yours? And, um, and I really do think of my grandfather. Mm-hmm. I think of my grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. He, we, uh, I inherited that, that depth of pain, genuine, right. genuine pain. Laura, I was telling you after hearing Renee speak, I was shaking for an hour yeah. and I was like, mm-hmm. I kept whispering. I was like, I'm just releasing trauma. It's all good. And I'm just yeah, right. Um, which is true. Right. Which but is true. That the, but knowing that that's what was happening for you, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it takes some of the panic away because it's like, why am, instead of 
what the fuck is going on? It's, oh my God, okay, I'm releasing trauma. This is scary. I can do this. Oh my God, this is scary. Like, you know, right. knowing what's happening. But I am so fucking brave, you guys. Mm-hmm. I am yes. like yes, the courageous, most courageous person I know. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and I really thank my grandfather for that, for that level of love, for looking at me mm-hmm. like I was the miracle that I named my son. Mm-hmm. For really looking at my dark brown hair mm-hmm. and seeing his mother. And... And, and really, I could see him thanking God for my little body walking the earth, for like every joyful sound I made. I, I attribute so much of my resilience and my grit and my level of zoftic, yummy, joyful nature. Mm-hmm. To the grief that I also hold. Like some people have a, you know, like a wider range of emotion. And I'm one of those people. So as dark and as, and as fucked up <laughs> mm-hmm. as I can go, that's how beautiful. Right. Uh, and, and spiritual and grateful I can experience every second of my life too. Right. Right. I'm, I'm thought, I'm thinking of the, uh, we often talk about in therapy, how, when you numb the shitty emotions, as many of us are wont to do, we also numb the good ones too. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. I think you're totally right. The, the, The depth and breadth of our sadness and our grief creates the space for the depth and breadth of our joy and our happiness. And what about right. empathy? And, and empathy. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. Right. And I, I'd add even that, you know, experiencing Jewish joy, whether that's the joy of a child, as you've named Daniela, um, or just the joy of tradition, the joy of storytelling, the joys, um, of so many things, just experiencing joy in life without even necessarily tying it to any specific Jewish experience right. is in and of itself Jewish resistance. Well, and I it re- requires resilience. Yeah. Like, like Absolutely. when I'm like looking at your picture with the halot and I'm like, mm-hmm. like the deliciousness of taste mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we get to taste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I think a lot about how people will often point to point to Holocaust survivors as, you know, how to to enjoy life after going through something horrifying. Right. It's just like, a you know, it's a clear example. Right. right. And I think what you were describing of, of sort of reflecting on your grandfather watching you and the miracle that you are, like we often talk about and we definitely did touch on this in our episode with uh, Ben that, you know, our existence in and of itself is a miracle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's even something more uh, special and profound about literally a, a man who's been through so much, who thought he would not live to see his family continue to then be looking at you as the literal embodiment of his survival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of his survival. Ah, right. Survival. Yeah. Right. Of his survival. Yeah. How right. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing here. something um, 
in a similar in a similar vein right now. You know, um, Daniela, last night you asked me as we walked away from that event, you know, about my love, about my relationship, um, and my engagement to a non-Jew and the life that you know we're committing to building together. And I think I think about telling my grandmother that I was going to like marry this guy. Um, I am so blessed that my grandmother, a survivor of the Holocaust is still with us today. Um, I'm having dinner with her after this. Um, and that's, you know, my own way of observing Yom HaShoah with, with her. Um, and it's just going to be she and I, and that's, Mm. that's what we're doing. Um, and to me, there's nothing more special and I remember, you know, the first time I said to my grandmother, like, I think I'm going to marry this boy. Um, mm-hmm. And her being the only person in my family that I cared what they thought mm-hmm. about him not being Jewish, because I had mm-hmm. figured out what it meant for me that he wasn't Jewish and had figured out how we would navigate all of that together um, navigate being an interfaith couple and also navigate my fierce unyielding commitment to continuing a Jewish family. Mm -hmm. Um, And how would we navigate that if I was not ultimately asking for his conversion, because I Mm -hmm. will not ask anybody to do anything they don't believe in. So we had had those conversations. We knew we were at a point in our relationship where engagement would happen someday. We knew we wanted to marry each other. And I said to my grandmother, I think I'm going to marry this boy. I need to know what you think. Um, and she said to me, um, if he makes you happy and you are living the life that you envisioned for yourself, then that's what I have envisioned for you Mm. and for anyone who comes from me. Mm. And to me, there was no greater gift that as you said, Ash, and you said, Daniela, like Daniela, you are a representation of his survival in the same way that I am a representation of her survival. So like it has to be, True then. Well, Ash, would you say it does? It comes with a lot of responsibility. Um, Yeah, it can, it can. But I also think that we're living representations of their vitality. Yeah. No, I agree. I just, you know, I'm, I, I think about, um, I just think about those experiences. I will be my grandmother's first grandchild to be married. Um, and that's, you know, its own, I think you said to me once, Daniela, imagine the Nahas, like, like, like I'm pretty sure I think that message was from you. I pretty vividly, I can be, I'm reading, I'm like hearing it in your voice as I'm saying it out loud. So, um, I, you know, I think about what that means. I think about the fact that I quite literally take, um, upholding traditions and storytelling as a piece of, to your word, Ash, it's a, my responsibility in existing um, because I am quite literally a representative of my grandmother's story because I'm a piece of my grandmother's story. 
because she survived. Right. So I'm here. Yeah. I mean, in, in our existence, creating this sense of responsibility, I think is something that a lot of Jews feel, whether or not mm -hmm. we know our families to be involved or have been, you know, uh, directly impacted by the Holocaust. You said something earlier, Ash, mm -hmm. that was really interesting that we've repressed these um, stories mm -hmm. because I, I think mm -hmm. also culturally, and I'm not even speaking about the Jewish culture, <clears throat> culturally, in the world, um, we just didn't know that repressing, <coughs> excuse me, memories and stories and truths were yeah. harmful. Um, right. Last night, Renee was talking about her, um, her first cousin lost both of his parents um, in the Holocaust very early on. And she went to his daughter's wedding where she realized that he had been telling everyone his entire life that he's not on speaking terms with his parents mm. because he just couldn't, because he just couldn't. Yeah. Um, something that I think um, is inherent in the third generation Holocaust survivor ex experience. And you tell me if I'm um, like what you think about this, Laura. Yeah. Um, is that we can more now. Like we are much more willing mm. and able to access. Able. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just able, right? Like financially and. Otherwise. Right. Just having mm -hmm. the resources, having the support, not being in the midst mm -hmm. of war and famine and right. Like our, our stability, those of us who are blessed enough to be stable in that sense right. does give us the ability to mourn in ways that our, our ancestors have not been given that opportunity. And it, it actually, um, you were saying before Daniela, that like your, you raising your children and, and doing so in a specific way is you're trying your best to not kind of transfer some of this trauma to your kids. And yeah, I think that that is really powerful. Just like this sense that like, okay, no, we, we can't change the fact that our epigenetics are the way they are. And our story is what it is. And our history is what it is. But because we have the things that we have now, we can start creating a, a Jewish community that is more healed and that is more mm. um, not necessarily resilient. I think we've been resilient the whole way through, but, <laughs> but, you know, I hate to use the word healthy, but like healthier, healthy. you know, like healthy. I'm with you, Ash. Yeah. I think this I, podcast is, is really doing that. I really do. Oh, thank you. I saw something beautiful today. Um, I've seen a lot shared today online about, um, you know, different, whether it's, you know, memorials or um, different conversations that have happened for um, Yom HaShoah. But I saw something beautiful online today that there was a collective B'nai Mitzvah experience for survivors who had never had the experience wow. of becoming a B'nai Mitzvah. And multiple survivors became B'nai Mitzvah, which... Um, if anyone who is listening does not know, um, it's when we become Jewish adults, it's our rite of passage at 12 or 13 years old, 12 for girls, 13 for boys. Um, we become a bar bat mitzvah. And for children, 
who were in concentration camps or in hiding, they did not have that experience. But you can do it at any time. Right, it's right. traditionally done at 12 or 13 years old. So to look at these photos of people who had survived the unspeakable, right? Doing what is considered really one of the ultimate manifestations mm -hmm. of Jewish joy. Yeah. Um, and a, a true rite of passage for a Jewish person. And also the responsibility. The Jewish life. Right. And the responsibility in that it opens the world to Jewish life and customs and being able to fully participate um, in a way that isn't just about learning, but is about actively engaging um, with ritual. That was absolutely incredible to me. And to me, that's what, you know, I'm trying to sit with an idea that man, Yom HaShoah is sad. Yeah. And I am trying to give myself space to not be re-traumatized today. Yeah. Um, and understand that it's possible to hear the stories that I have heard and read and listened to last night, last week, when I had the honor of interviewing a 94-year-old survivor like, it is possible for me to absorb these stories and see images that I have seen before of emaciated, starving, tortured people and also understand that I can take the feelings that arise and turn them into anything. Service. I can turn them into anything. I can turn them into sitting down for dinner with my grandmother today. Right. And I'm going to. Yeah. And I can turn them into service. Right, Daniela? Which you're doing I, right now. <laughs> thank you. So I just, I, you know, for me, that's very important to say. Yeah, sorry. My headphone decided to riot. Um, <laughs> but to me, that felt very important to say. Um, and just to name that, you know, it is okay to not sit and stare at photos of emaciated Jews as they were liberated from the camps today. And it is okay that if you do, it's also okay to step back from it and yeah. um, go seek some Jewish joy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jewish resistance too. That's something that I saw a lot of this Yom HaShoah on social media in my circles. Um, there was a post by uh, someone that we know named Safira um, who's also actually involved with the Tel Aviv Institute. Mm -hmm. um, and she did this really beautiful post. Um, she highlighted three stories, uh, young girls who uh, ran into mm -hmm. the forest and survived um, and what that was like. And, you know, I, I think there is so much suffering in our history, but again, it, that suffering gives way to resiliency and it sucks that we have to suffer to to earn that resiliency or to to gain that superpower to some degree. Um, mm -hmm. But it is our story, and you know I think when we try to deny our story, that's when we get into trouble. And so, right. as painful as it is, I, I think facing it for what it is 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 really how we how we heal. Mm. Um, so. Um, I do want to, of course, respect your time, Daniela. I know you've got some bedtime and dinner stuff to deal with. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll wrap up here. Um, but thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for joining us, your energy and 
uh, your voice, both singing and, you know, verbal, um, mm-hmm. were such a joy to have. Um, and, you know, we, you know, we love you, but, you know, thank you. Anna. Oh, I love you so much. I thank you so much for your work. And I, it, it's dawning on me that this responsibility that we're um, holding is also giving way to so much dignity and uh, purpose. Mm. And I really do think that, um, like, when I'm feeling aimless and, you know, that's when despair and depression really Mm -hmm. sets in. And when I get to hang out with you guys and realize, wow, like there is responsibility and there's also really such deep, meaningful purpose Mm -hmm. um, to my life, to our lives. Mm -hmm. That gives me a lot of joy. So uh, can you let everyone know where they can find you, Daniela? Yeah, I'm <laughs> also. Um, <laughs> I'm. Uh, you can find me at Daniela Rabani on Instagram. Um, that's like where I'm most active, um, and my film Oma is just a 10 minute exploration on intergenerational trauma and being a third generational uh, ho- Holocaust survivor. It's available on Amazon Prime, and hope you guys can check it out. Thank you so much. And I, I did talk over you. What were the two things that could exist? <laughs> I just think that, um, like, the burden, mm-hmm. the burden, and the joy. Yes. I think it's our Yerusha. I think it's our inheritance. Mm. I really do. I think they can exist, and I think they're in conversation, as you say. Yes. Mm. Beautiful place to end. <laughs> mm. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much again, Daniela, and I hope you have a good bedtime. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you for joining us today on Kvetching on the Couch. As a reminder, we use this space to talk about difficult subjects, and so it is of the utmost importance that you do at least one thing to take care of yourself today. We hope that this conversation was validating, um, was a form of empathizing, was at least interesting for those of you listening. Next week, we'll be talking about decolonizing Jewish identity and the role that this can play in our exploration of our identity and how that relates to mental health with Debbie L, a.k.a. Roots Metals. You can come fetch with us about that on Thursday, May 5th, live at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And as always, this episode recording will be posted on the Colin app, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts later this evening. You can keep up with me and Ash on social media. My handle is at the Healing Happy Cook, and you can find Ash at, at Bad Ash Therapy. All information will be provided in the comment section of the episode. A big thank you to Jenny Sunshine for all the music provided in this episode, and the biggest of thank yous to those of you who joined us today. Good night.